0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Chit Heads. My guest today is Naveen Mishan. Naveen, founder and creator of Katona Yoga, possesses a gift for teaching the physical and esoteric aspects of yoga. Many consider her a philosopher, a poet, a seer. Her teaching methods are articulated intelligently with meaning and metaphor. Naveen's practical approach entwines the body, the breath, and the imagination. Her unique dialogue and insight is matched by her extraordinary ability to convey and communicate her keen acumen. Michan was born in Egypt in 1954, moved to New York at the age of three. In her early 20s while studying history and comparative religion at Vassar College, she discovered meditation. Naveen understood that there is a function or functions a formality and a fit to the universe and that yoga is a tool, a technique, a practice with repetition which gives us the opportunity to participate in life intelligently and joyfully. Naveen started a daily practice in New York City with renowned yoga instructor Alan Bateman in the 1970s. She became fully immersed in what would become her life's work. She began teaching yoga in 1980 and founded the Katona Yoga Center in Katona, New York in 1986. Naveen continues to teach in her studio in Bedford Hills, New York, and to inspire those both near and far of all ages and backgrounds. So with that, thank you so much, Naveen, for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: So nice to see you. Naveen, it's such an incredible honor to be able to have this conversation with you today. You are undoubtedly um, one of the most influential asana teachers, uh, not only in New York City, but also um, in the world now. So I would love to just start by hearing a little bit about how you got there. Obviously, you've been doing this for some 40 years. Can you take us a little bit on that journey of your own evolution as a teacher?
1: Well, all right, so when I think about it, I think like, um, like any technique, it is about practice. So i practiced for years and years and years, and because I practice so much and I teach so much, um, I learned a lot. Because the whole point of yoga is that it, it should develop technique, right? It is really about um, building skills. So I think yoga really taught me a lot of things and helped me build my skills. So today I have a nice technique I have a good practice and yoga is very big today. So there's a lot of really good yoga and yoga is very open source today. So people have an opportunity to learn lots and lots of things. So I'm one of those things. Yeah
0: and you know while it is very big today it seems like there are there there's a kind of general vinyasa focus you know the vinyasa sort of in the stream of of Ashtanga, and then there's also this kind of iyengar focused discipline. And yours seems to be offering something a little bit different. I mean, obviously there's you know some resonance there with these other yoga paths, as it were, but but what is it that's definitive of the Katoni Yoga style and what were the influences that you drew from to kind of develop this method?
1: Hmm. All right, so <laughs> So, my first thought is that idea that yoga is music. And mm. I've always understood yoga as music. So, mm. once you start from that, there's lots of different types of music. But all music is basically playing with the same notes, the same chords. It's just how you're going to put it together, how you're going to time it. So, in that good fortune of yoga being popular enough today, a lot of people can learn a lot of music. Yeah. Right? So, there's different styles. Right, so you know, when I started doing yoga, I was lucky enough that Iyengar I was there, uh, Patavi Joyce was there. There was a lot of uh, Kapal Yoga. There's a lot of yoga, yeah. lots of different styles, and you have the opportunity to take them. Right, plus. There- There's a lot of Taoist yoga, so when I started doing a lot of yoga, the Taoists were coming into Chinatown, there's a tremendous amount of Taoist material coming through, meditation was really big, so there's a lot of material, but nobody's coming up with anything um, new in the sense that there weren't new notes, It wasn't a new form, it's using your body, using your mind, using your breath, so I think I'm really good at um, putting it all together. Yeah, You know, I can read music, I can read other people's scores, I can do lots of different yoga, but then the goal is to really go home and do one's own practice. So uh, in a sense, I have that good fortune that um, I was able to learn lots of different material and then bring it home.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously one of the defining features I think of you as a teacher is that you are cl- very clearly an intuitive and also perhaps a mystic and, um, but you draw a lot on a lot of vocabulary, which is, as you say, this kind of Taoist yoga, um, uh, vocabulary. And, you know, you don't see that a lot. And I'm wondering, you know, do you have any thoughts on why the Taoist kind of vocabulary or framework has been kind of less popular than, for example, maybe the, the more, you know, the more popular Hindu framework or the Indian kind of, uh, vocabulary?
1: Um, no, I think it's just, um, uh, what do I say? Fashion. So I think there are a lot of fashions. I think certain things are more popular at different times for lots of different reasons. But, uh, the Indian yoga came out a lot during a colonial era, right? And colonialism, you know, was a very Western narrative. So, um, India and... England in a way were very tight, very close. Academia is very close to uh, the colonial system. The Taoist system is very different. It comes out of China, uh, a very different mindset. Mm -hmm. So I just think it comes out at a different time. Mm -hmm. But the world is open source. Anybody can learn anything they want today right? Mm. Um, I also, for me, yoga is a mystical experience. So I didn't come to yoga from gym. I didn't come to yoga from physical. I came to yoga through a spiritual practice. And so uh, there are a lot of spiritual practices. Once you start, you find out that they're all leading to the same place, different ways to find the same thing. So um, in some ways, today's yoga is very classic in that it integrates mind, body and breath, but it is also very of our age. It's everybody's minds, everybody's bodies, everybody's breath. So it's not a, a language thing, it's not a cultural thing, even though one gives credit to a culture that really has such deep yoga. Yeah. but the Taoist great yoga, the Chinese, have brilliant yogas, as do the Indians, as do the Westerners. One has to be very careful also the language, because what we define as yoga meditation, people meditate by knitting. There's lots of different ways to meditate, yeah. so it's not just sitting in a specific way. Uh, so,
0: yeah,
1: in some ways, I'm just very practical yeah well I I, you know
0: one of the things I'm glad you mentioned mystical because you know when I was listening to another interview that you did you mentioned how what you just said that you came to yoga for the mystical and I I feel like there's this idea of mystical that is sort of um, not rational or irrational and and, you know people would say I'm not looking for the mystical I'm looking for I'm in pursuit of the rational so you obviously see there to be a utility of the mystical and I'm I'm, uh, a functionality of it and I'm wondering what that is or how you might describe that
1: Well, um, I start with the idea that I don't think one can really separate what is mystical from what is practical, Mm -hmm. right? And so in some ways, um, the reason I love hatha yoga, because even when you define all different yogas, um, the yoga I teach is a hatha practice. And a hatha practice demands that one-third of it is through the body, right? And so it is very practical to stay embodied. But well, I think a lot of people think that to be mystical is to disembody. Right. But I think the whole point of Hatha is to do it in the body, which really means it's a very practical thing, right, where uh, the minute you negate the body, well, then your mind has no place to be playing the game in, right? So, uh, you know, it's a very practical narrative. I also... Um, um, how do I say, it? I like language, and I like metaphors, and so I really hunt for how to find the mystical in everything, and I think you find that through metaphor because metaphor lets you explore concepts, and to play with the concept is a very mystical thing. Mm. So how does this um,
0: I, I, I have this idea that or I imagine that there's something about the connection of metaphor to maps and are the maps that you use, which we will talk about in a little bit, that these incredible maps that an artist help you put together um, is, is are we to understand the map also as a kind of metaphor that is a, a, a tool to help us enter into the body? Is that sort of the idea?
1: Um, you know, yes, it's, um, it's a metaphor and not. So in a lot of ways, and this is why yoga is mystical and practical, is that it's really all about a reality, that you're in a body and a body um, is defined. So maps are really defining territory. So maps is very traditional in yoga, all mandalas are maps. Right. Um, The reason you map is so that eventually you can articulate territory, that you can uh, explore territory without actually having to leave your room, but then eventually once one leaves one's room, one can actually get where one wants by virtue of that map. So it's very practical to play with maps. Um, I think also what's happened is I taught a yoga and I teach yoga that is very steeped in practical life, in my life. Mm. So it is not Hindu because I'm not a Hindu, right? And Hinduism isn't just a religion, it's a culture. And I belong to a culture that really has to use metaphors that are appropriate for for my time, my place. Um, and so even my maps, my maps are in English because I appeal to people in English. My maps are about the body because you're mapping space in the body. Uh, one of my big themes is yoga's origami. I love to think of asanas origami, and in some ways I think it's that appeal that allows people to eventually use the material well. You can use anybody's practice, right? You can use anybody's paper, as long as it frames up, but it's really how do you fold it, what do you want out of it, how are you gonna use it? So it's a very functional, Narrative. Maps are very functional.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting that you say that, you know, you're, you're not a Hindu, so you don't practice sort of a Hindu culturalized yoga for lack of a better term but it's interesting because when i look at the maps of you know especially with the magic square and the sort of polarity meditations they really remind me uh, a lot of kind of the hindu tantric tradition where there is a sort of map of the body and and one would kind of um, place mantras right in this kind of nyasa practice placing mantras on different parts of the body and it seems very similar in this kind of visualizing of the orientation of the breath in Um, kind of orbits and sequences. So even while it is sort of, um, you're transmitting it in this kind of more English vocabulary, there is this sort of archetypal truth that it's still touching that is shared by these different traditions.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, I think language is supposed to be limiting and formal because language has to appeal to the people you're speaking to. Mm-hmm. But what's underneath the language is what is really universal. So. Uh, You know, yoga is yoga, just like baking is baking. Then each individual has to figure out how to bake, Mm. right? So you can use lots of different people's recipes, and a map is like a recipe, especially meditation maps, Mm. right? Because that's their point, is to really give you a way to get in, to travel through territory, and to have an experience. So um, it's very cultural in the sense that I do my cultural maps. But that would be like saying that i bake with ingredients that are local in my stores but baking is baking and that is really the art to know that that is archetypal that is really the magic that one can put things together and produce something Mm. very into being productive right i think big reason to do yoga is to become powerful and part of being powerful is being productive right getting things done Right? So um, I do yoga for very specific reasons, right? I came to yoga knowing that it would give me a way to have mystical experience, but it would also give me, in that mystical way, a way to soothe my soul. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. My spirit To not lose my mind. So, you know, these are very practical things one's looking for. So to sit there and think they're mystical, well, they are, but it's very practical to be mystical because the world is very big right and it's much more fun if you have a big mind for it
0: yeah so i want to um uh, touch on a couple of these features of of the Katoni yoga practice that you mentioned uh, that are mentioned on the website and one of them which i remember hearing a lot when i would take your class at um in chelsea in new york when the studio was there um you mention a lot this developing a sense of personal measure and i wonder what that means and how would one might contrast that with you know a yoga that is not in the service of that
1: well if it's a physical yoga um in some ways even unconsciously i I have to start by saying it is in service of it that the universe is proportional the universe has pattern the universe measures up Mm -hmm. things fit things are designed well, and that is the awe. So I do physical yoga because it allows me to participate in the awe, to know that the arch of your foot is designed to fit the arch of your neck like a hand in a glove, to me it's pretty awesome. To know that um, the universe is designed so well that not only do you fit yourself, like you know, you can fit your right hand and your left hand, but also deeper fits of yourself, your eyeball fits your eye socket, your tongue fits your mouth, your speech fits your um, thinking, right? There's such a deep fitting in the whole thing that the universe is so functional. So to me, that is so awesome. So it's the fact that there's patterns in nature. After spring, there's always the summer. After summer, there's always an autumn. Well, you know, this is the practice, is to really start seeing what is really going on, what is available to me. So I know we're given a body, we're fortunate enough to have minds, we're fortunate enough to be able to manipulate the breath and really the practice is use them all. Mm-hmm. Now the better you use your tools, the more fun you can have. So I do think a lot of yoga is for fun, right? The whole idea again in a Hindu practice of Leela, divine play, that it should be playful. You are given limbs so you can dance, you're given eyes so you can see, you're given nose so you can sniff it out. Well, these are your tools of yoga. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. So when we talk about patterns, um, there's a kind of proportion, it's true in all the Western narratives, true in all the Eastern narratives, that there are patterns, right? Manipulate the patterns, use them to your advantage, and that's a big piece of yoga, mm. right? So I don't think you're doing yoga to be good, I think you're doing yoga to, um, uh,
0: to fit. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I love love that. I want to because I I love that you say that because I heard that in another interview. But I just wanted to before we go on to that, I wanted to highlight that you said, or just to clarify that you said, participate not in the all a l l, but in the awe as in a w e. Is that right? Yes. I love that. You're participating in the awesomeness of the. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think that is the point. Is to be awed. You know, you go to a concert to hear music. um, You want to be awed by the fact that. It's symphonic that things work, that there's consonants, that you know, spirit can be uplifted. So I do think these are all spiritual practices. But I think gym is a spiritual practice. I think life is a spiritual practice. Some practices, um, some techniques have more bang for the buck. Yeah. So I think learning how to tie good knots is a good thing to learn. Learning how to unravel bad knots is a good thing to learn. So learning Take care of yourself is a good thing to learn. Yeah. Learning and not to lose your mind is a good thing to learn, and yoga is designed for that. Yeah, you know, it's designed to give you a way to play with your mind, body, and breath, and to integrate them. It's pretty deep in its essence.
0: Yeah, I just want to push a little yeah. bit more on this idea of participating in the awe, because it seems to me that in our culture, we are the you know there's this kind of emerging, or maybe it's been around for a while, this idea. That it's all meaningless, that everything is chaos. And, and so accompanying that is this kind of almost cultural depression about, and, 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 so, and what seems to be missing from that is exactly what you're saying, this, this, this sort of um, you know, prostration to the awesomeness of, of what's happening. Yes. And so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how we got there and why we're in this situation where so many people are you know, not seeing the awesomeness or not able to perceive it.
1: Well, I think um, it is not new, I think it is always, because I think, you know, um, things have to be dirty for people to know that they should clean up, right? People have to find, you know, almost that they're hopeless before they can find that there's hopeful. So I think it's part of the game of polarity, right? Uh, you know, I play with three big principles in, like, you know, the practices. The first one is you know, the mediation of polarity. So the goal really is to know there's up and there's down, there's in and there's out, there's life and there's death, there's joy and there's unhappiness, but you become that third principle that mediates, you know, how far in, how far out, how hot, how cold. So there's a tremendous amount of personal um, responsibility, personal choice. And again, that's a big core of yoga for me is that it is a personal practice. It is about personal responsibility. So it, it's not supposed to be easy. But what you want to do is develop enough technique that you can be grateful, right? So life is hard, and it's very hard to be in a body. So there are a lot of practices that say, well, it's easy to disembody. The problem when you disembody is nobody's minding the body, and then eventually it falls apart, right? Um, We go through the biggest wealth transfer, right, of our era, right, is healthcare, Mm. right? Because you know, first everyone wants to disembodied and then nobody wants to leave their body. Everyone wants to stick around. So there's a tremendous amount of money that goes into keep my body working for me, yeah. right? Well, the point of yoga is to know um, self-responsibility? How do I make my body work for me? So it doesn't have to be the best body. One isn't looking for a perfect body. This isn't a, a game of like fashion. It is really to know, oh, there are techniques to eventually be able to live in the body and be grateful that one has that opportunity because it is hard. Yeah. Right. So yoga is a technical thing. Yeah. Right? I mean, the I, techniques?
0: Yeah, right. So I want to go back to this thing that you said a moment ago because I think it's such a really important point which is the idea that yoga isn't about, it's not about being a better person but it's about empower, empowerment or uh, developing cities or powers, which is essentially something that you said in another interview. Um, so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. And, and also, you know, is there a role for ethics? Like when one, you know, when one develops their own kind of fittedness with the patterns of life, does a kind of ethical disposition arise? You know, what's, what's the connection between living an ethical well, life no. and, and fitting oneself? <laughs>
1: Yes, yes, one hopes it does that, because eventually I think the goal of the practice is to become, in a sense, powerful, but then it's how one defines power. Yeah. So for me, powerful is to be round, it is to be buoyant, it is to be well-adjusted, it is to know that you know when you fall, you bounce back, it is to have a vibration that really can concentrate and radiate. So there are real definitions for being well-adjusted, just like your musical instrument, um, there's tone. There's something that's out of tone. So being healthy is being, is being toned well, mm. being well-tuned. And once you're well-tuned, well, ethics is part of being well-tuned because you really can't be well-adjusted when you're lying. You can't really be well-adjusted when you're cheating, right? So in some ways, the ethics is just part of the whole package, that it works when you behave well. It works when you're self-responsible. You have a better chance that your cup will hold will hold water if you know how to fold your corners properly. So it's very technical to behave well. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you get a lot of joy through behaving well because life is chemical, and joy has very specific chemistry. Right, So you don't have to have a perfect body, you can have a lot of you know, things going on, but you get a lot of joy if you're self-responsible, if you take care of what you're supposed to take care of, if you show up when you're supposed to show up. So for all those things, there's a lot of sort of like backstory. To show up at the right time, you have to know how to read a clock, or you have to know how to read the stars. right? To um, show up at the right time, you have to remember that you made plans. So for that, you have to have enough air in your brain so that you can remember things. So in some ways, everything adds everything else up. Mm-hmm. You know, make a good cake, you have to do all these things. That's why one of the jokes is really, to get anything, you have to do everything. <laughs> you, know? okay, well, you have to think well, you have to clean up well. You know? The big sitters for me are not, can you fly, yeah. right? it is really, can you hear, can you see? So they have to be practical enough that they're doable, right then to make them a siddha to make it a real power You have to do them so well that you make them um, awesome Yeah, so back to being awesome right to really smell Smell the situation is a very profound power, Mm -hmm. right? You really see what is being You know what's being presented and see what's not being presented, right? So To become more powerful is really to um, develop the mind, the body, and the breath, to work together, to maintain your integrity. Mm -hmm. I think everybody should be self responsible. To some degree. I mean, that is. Oh. Yeah,
0: (laughs) right. Um, So, you know, you already mentioned these three principles of esoteric dialogue that kind of, that inform the Katoni Yoga practice, but I wanted to sort of walk through them um, and and maybe have you say a few words. So all polarities are mediated by Trinity. Uh, Now, what is, does that mean that sort of, you know, the in and the out, the yin and the yang, that the mediating third is us? Or what exactly does it mean to be mediated by Trinity?
1: So, what that really means, in a sense, is great nature, in some ways, offers you the big polarities, right, because great nature is not personal, right, and mediation is very personal. So, great nature is, in some ways, the character of polarity. So, you always know if there's winter, there's the summer. If there's an in, there's an out. There's life, there's death. So, in the game of polarity, in a sense, there's no personal investment or commitment, mm. Yeah. Trinity puts another element in there, which is you dealing with the hot and the cold. You dealing with your youth and your old age. You dealing with the inside of the house and the outside of the house. So the minute you put a third principle in there, it's no longer just how great nature mediates the big game, it's how you play in that big game, Mm. how you make your choices in it. So I think to be powerful is really to have choice. Right? To have choice, you have to know numerous things so that you, you really do have a choice. That's why even in a yoga practice, when you know how to do lots of different asanas and you know what different things do for you, well then all of a sudden you start having choice. Well, in this situation, maybe I need this asana. In that situation, maybe I'll use that. Well, these are your tools. Um, Tools don't build the building, you build the building, but you build the building using tools. Right? right? The better you know how to use your tools, the better chance you're going to build a good building. right? Right? To build a good building also is, you know, you can translate into ethics. Right? To, you know, to build a good narrative, to build a good story, to, you know, be virtuous. Eventually it adds up, it'll hold up. If it doesn't add up, eventually it won't sustain. Well, the game is to... Have sustenance to be able to be sustained so in some ways it's all you know food food for the mind the body the breath and how are you going to sustain in in a wonderful way mm. because if you do terrible things you'll hurt others eventually it will hurt you too so not to say you only do it because eventually it's gonna affect you but you're also part of the whole yeah, yeah. So, that responsibility for all of it.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about um, developing this kind of self-responsibility to know, you know, what you need, you know, in the context of practice we're talking about, or you were talking about just a moment ago. And this sort of brought to mind this, um, you know, these other kind of formats of doing yoga that have sort of a set sequence that are in a certain sense kind of imposed to varying degrees on people from all walks of life and, and sort of the body is supposed to fit that practice right. um but i've always understood from your perspective that really the practice will change as you grow and evolve and get older and um and so i guess I'm, I'm curious you know is are there any kind of general features of how um the sorts of things that the body needs as one gets older or is it really completely individual
1: Well, I'll frame it slightly differently. When I think about all these different yoga techniques and how they teach you to do yoga, I think that is like learning a language. When you decide to go to school, you have to learn the grammar. And when you learn the grammar, it is very rigid, it is very linear and different. Teachers in different countries teach in different ways. But the goal really is to give you a very set structure that is very formal, that eventually is going to be your building blocks. But learning in school isn't the same thing as eventually being fluent and speaking a language, right? So for me, I expect that once somebody starts yoga, first they have to learn grammar, they have to learn yeah. someone's technique. And it really doesn't matter what technique you learn as long as. Um, it has virtue. It's like it doesn't matter where you learn your French, as long as it's really teaching you French, yeah. right? That you conjugate the verbs properly, that you know you 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 have to really learn a certain base game. But once you own your grammar, now you're looking for fluency. You're looking to talk to people, you're looking to have conversations, you're looking to use the language. Well, that's very different than learning language. Yeah. And so yoga is about fluency, but initially You don't learn fluency, you have to learn something rigid enough that's going to give you a template. I see. So in some ways we always say, Katona yoga doesn't stand on its own. It's not a yoga practice that one can say, I only do Katona, because it's a practice of teaching you how to use your practice, how to build your metaphors, how to organize a fluency out of... Techniques that were first taught to you, in a sense, to give you a discipline and and sort of learn a form. Mm. In some ways, first you have to learn music, then you get to do whatever you want with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, a school of do what you want with it once you know how to do it. Right, right. right. Well, you realize that you're old and you need to you need to backbend more because life is diminishing you. Well, then you have to change your practice for that. I wouldn't eat the same things for breakfast I eat for dinner. Um, I read the same books when I'm in kindergarten that I read when I'm older but everything serves its purpose so in some ways the most important thing is where are you what do you need right how are you going to set yourself up to get that and that's what the maps are for too is to figure out where am I Mm -hmm. right in terms of my age where am I in terms of, of the hours where am I in terms of my needs right because you need different things at different times mm. but if you have a good practice you should be able to pull out the tools you need for different times yeah and I there's only one practice for your whole life yeah so um...
0: So one thing, well, I guess I want to just mention these because I said I was going to mention all three. So uh, I don't think we need to go too much into this one because I think we're sort of talking about this, which is the universe has pattern, pattern implies intelligence. Um, And then also the third one being by virtue of repetition, there is potential for insight. Um, So I'm wondering if you want to talk a little bit about what the relationship is between repetition and insight and how that kind of how that works in the context of practice or in life.
1: Right. Well, you know, I tend to always plant a metaphor that is slightly different than yoga so that one can see it in yoga through a different lens, right? right? But, uh, you know, the first time you take your car and you travel to someplace you've never been, it's totally unfamiliar, and most of your attention is going to be on, in a sense, the anxiety. Am I on the right road? Right? How far is it? Am I going to get there? Do I, you know? So there's a certain amount of trepidation and anxiety from not knowing something. Once you go down that same road 10 times, you get very familiar. Once you know a road very well, well, then you can look at different parts of it. So, first, you might just be looking, really, that, am I on the right road? Eventually, you're going to be looking at things like, oh, look what's What's the scenery or look what I just saw on the other part of the road? Because the more comfortable you are with something, the more things you can look at. So I think that's what happens with practices and postures is first you just have to learn the poses. Then eventually you get to sort of use the poses. Then you get to see more about the poses, how you can use them differently. Till eventually the pose becomes Um, something that you own Mm. right once you know how to get someplace like from your house to where you go to work and you've done it years and years you own that road you own it well enough to be able to take shortcuts to be able to take different routes because now it becomes much more than just a road it becomes an experience Mm. so more times you do something the more experiences you have with it I also find that, you know, in terms of like doing origami, the more times you make the origami cup, the more times you're going to find out how to make the cup better or how to make the cup worse. So eventually you find out if you fold your corners properly, your cup holds water. Well, after a number of times, that becomes a given. So yeah. you wouldn't even think of making it without holding the corners right. Yeah. I think the big thing in asana practice is the fit. If you don't know what to do with a pose, go for fitting, right? Knowing that you're designed to fit. Fits. So your kneecaps are designed to fit your armpits. Um, the the design of your hands, right, when brought together, fits the shape of your head. Fits the shape of your foot. So there's lots of ways to handle yourself, knowing that you can calibrate and measure yourself out. Mm. Right. Once you have a sense of measure, uh, it makes life easier.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Which is really cool. <laughs>
0: Right. Yeah. Let's make life easier, please. (laughs) Um, So, you know, one of the things I remember you saying a lot, Naveen, um, I don't know if you said that it was Westerners, but something about, you know, us here in the West, Um, we are able but not very stable. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what that means. And then also I'm wondering if there are any other kinds of common, maybe embodied themes that you see that are sort of indicative of a kind of imbalance at the cultural level.
1: Well, you know, when I when I play with bodies and when I read bodies because, you know, part of being the teacher is really looking, yeah. right? And getting insights of people's personal techniques. So when I read a body I always find body nine ways, right? I always first divide it bottom, middle, top. Bottom would be how do you kick Middle is how do you stroke, and top is how do you keep your head above water. So, the easiest way really to read a pose initially is you almost imagine everyone swimming in the swimming pool, and I, as a teacher, get to watch their technique. Some overkick, some overstroke, some keep their head above water, but they don't have a very good kick. And depending on their personal technique, I'm gonna get a lot of personal insight about how they're getting it done. So when we talk about the Westerners, they're very good strokers usually. They know how to roll up their sleeves and they know how to work hard, right? The problem is if you overstroke, eventually you break your arms, you damage your heart, because it's a tremendous amount of pressure on what you're good at. Usually when you have someone who strokes too hard, we're always saying, learn to kick, right? So you take somebody who's a big stroker, you give them a kick for and say, ah, Forget the stroke for a while, learn to kick. Now the reason to do that is not tell them don't stroke. It is to eventually bump up something that isn't as understood or done as well so that eventually you can back off a little on where you work too hard. One of the big differences from like a medical paradigm and a mystical paradigm and a yoga paradigm is in medicine when you hurt something, that is the issue right? In yoga, if way anyway, when somebody hurts something, the issue is, why'd you work that so hard? Because you don't break your weakness, you break your strength. Mm. Right. At which point, the whole game of yoga is, where you're strong, you don't need to be stronger. So the art then is, well, good. It's good that you hurt yourself and your arms, now you have to use your legs. Or, it's good that you hurt your legs, now you have to use your arms. So in some ways, it's going to to be very generic, because everyone is an individual, and that's why. I tend to think each person has to be um, looked at as an individual. Because even in a culture, there's some that overstroke and underkick. Another culture, it might be more an earthier culture where they're much better with the leg work, but still in that culture, you'll get one that is a stroker, not a kicker, or a kicker, or not a stroker. So to me, the game is how do I get it all to eventually have integrity? Because the goal of yoga is the integrity. It is to really... Um, Integrate mind, body, and breath. And that's not just a dialogue, that really is the premise. Mm. As I think, it's not a hot the practice if you're not using the mind, the body, and the breath. Job of the mind is to really um, have the desires to want things, to you know, to basically want. Job of the breath is to power it, and the job of the body is to um, give you the vehicle to do it in. Well, all i get to look at all the time is which piece is helping you which piece isn't helping you Mm. where does your technique fall short where does your technique hold up minds are very plastic so they can think whatever but bodies are very solid so they don't lie and that's why hop is great practice it demands that you do it in the body Mm.
0: yeah. And I mean, what seems to probably make that a little more, even more complicated for people is that we live in a society that tells us to, you know, highlight and augment our strengths, right? So we're actually, you know, we, we realize we stroke well. And so we just want to keep stroking because that's what other people will be impressed by. And so how yeah. do you get, how, how do you get well, out you of re- that cycle?
1: Ah, well, because, you know, in some ways, you know, this is the generosity of the whole game. We say that uh, the universe does not care if you overstroke under a right? <laughs> the universe also is not careless. So if you overstroke, eventually you break your arms. Well, you know, now it's your problem. And that's why in the long run, the game of yoga is very personal. It is your, it's yours. It's nobody else. So, you know, I guess there's pop. First, you just have to Think you're doing it for whatever reasons, but in the end, you find out that you're really doing it so that you can be with yourself. Yeah. So that you can use time well. Um, One of the big misconceptions, right, for you know, in the pop narrative, which is why uh, it's not to be taken too seriously. The idea that the sun really doesn't rise, the sun really doesn't set. You rise, you set, planet spins. Right, so it's one of the first things one has to really go through in yoga is that the sun does not rise, you rise. The sun does not set, you set. Right, um, the seasons are happening. Your job is to know, right? Because once you start knowing the way it is designed, well, you can use it to your advantage. Okay. Right. So if you know it is you that's rising, it's you that's setting, it is you that decides, it is you that opens the windows, it's you that closes the windows, well now all of a sudden you're being told that you have a lot of say in what you do. Well, yoga is a big doing thing. What are you doing with your time? Oh, I spend an hour a day doing practice. Well, what are you doing the practice for? It is really to soothe yourself, to get an insight. The big insight is that you can soothe yourself. Right? You can be with yourself, So So are there any other,
0: you know, obviously this this one of stroking um, and not kicking or having a strong stroke and not a great kick as, you know, obviously you say within the same culture of obviously we see variability, but there's this general kind of symptom of that. Do you think there are, do you see any other kind of general symptoms that you think are particular to our culture?
1: Well, you know, I, gave, I I divide down those three, right? So bottom, middle, top, kicking, stroking, breathing. But then go for the next three, which is going to be the right, the left, the center. And when we talk about the right, we're basically talking about education, going to school, being, you know, in the world. When we talk about the left, we're really talking about the hard side, the inheritance, the feelings, the, you know, sort of more lunar Aspect. And then, of course, in the center, which we call third eye, third hand, third foot, right, we call that like the stellar piece. Well, when you make a braid, ideally, you take three strands, right, and you make them all about the same amount of density. So you have to have one third of you is going to be educated, one third of you, right, is aligned with your inheritance, and one third of you is really about yourself. And now, what do I do, right? Now, to make a braid, you have to put all three together. So it is another way to read a body, is to see how they braid it, right? Some people give a tremendous amount of material to the inheritance, and very little to the education, right, and very little to the center. So you know, it is really where one is skewed, right? Another way of playing is potential past and present. So potential is always what's in front of you, past is always what's behind you, and present is always what's in the middle, in the moment. Well, some people's past weigh on their presence. Some people's presence, you know, um, sort of overwhelm their memories, right? So everybody really is doing their own version, right? So one can say culture, but this is where, again, the world is open source, and once you start seeing it as open source, you realize everyone's in the same boat. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got a bottom, a middle, a top. Everyone's got an inheritance. Everyone's got an education. Everyone has a piece of themselves that implicitly doesn't understand. Everyone's got a future, everyone's got a past, everyone's got a present. So, in some ways, it is to really know that everyone is the same because it's, you know, a univision, a universe. It is not as cultural as people make. That's why Banji Yoga is so big because it transcends culture. Everyone's got a body, everyone's got a mind. Music transcends culture, baking transcends culture. On the other hand, you will bake. Uh, using ingredients of your culture. Mm. Unless, of course, you move and you find out that you can bake using someone else's ingredients. So everything is acceptable if you do it well. Mm. And that's the big joke of it. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you do it well. Mm. right? It doesn't matter what technique as long as you play it well. So if you can play jazz well, it will do its job. If you can play rock well, it will do it. Right, so it doesn't matter really the technique as long as it's well done. Yeah. So now you're talking about skill, and yoga it doesn't matter the technique. It matters the skills. Ethics is part of the skill because it is not very skillful, as I said, to uh, negate uh, considering that there are others, and not just people. You have to consider that the planet is alive. That you know seasons have souls. So to be incredibly considerate. Right is part of being incredibly sensible, mm-hmm. and that's very mystical. Yeah. So one
0: thing you said, uh, which I really love, um, uh, is this idea of, you know, obviously we know third eye, right? This is very familiar to us. But third hand and third foot on these different planes that you're talking about, and and so you know, I understand th- third eye is obviously this kind of a- a- another vision. So what is it that um, that the third hand and the third foot govern? In that way and that's so sort
1: of... when we talk about, you know the right hand being the hand that makes the deal in the world and the left hand is the hand that um, really makes marriage right and of course when we start tessellating it we know that there's the right of the right and the right of the left and so you know it is not as defined just the right side and the left side because it's in every single piece right but the third hand would be the steering wheel and of course steering mm-hmm. wheel immune system has to be handled by the other two hands. So the same thing that the third eye really is the prism of the brain. And so we map it all out so knowing that, well, really it's a a trinity between the right eye, the third eye, uh, the right eye, left eye, and third eye that eventually makes the individual. The third foot is basically the umbilical cord. It's your ability to move water, to produce the baby, to fire up. So even though it doesn't look like a foot, it is. And even though the third hand doesn't look like a hand, right, it is your sphere of well-being and radiance, and you access it through applause. So bring the other two hands together, and you'll access the opening of the third, right? So you can always see somebody's brain by virtue of how their eyes are working. So in some ways, there's the implicit and the explicit. Um, When you play with paper, you're only playing with two dimensions. There's a front and a back. So when you fold paper, you get two backs, two fronts, and it's like a notebook. But when you fold bodies, you're playing with the front and the back and an inside. Mm. So don't fold bodies to fit like paper. You fold bodies to fit functions, to fit back and front. And that's why your kneecap is shaped like a ball. It belongs to the back. Your armpit is shaped like a mitt, belongs to a front. Well, your design when you fold pose is that your armpit will fit your kneecap, just like your eyeball will fit your eye socket. So the better the fits, the better the function, right? To be a carpenter is to know how to use your tools, right? So we play with a lot of analogies. One of the big analogies is the body's a house. And, you know, you should know how to live in your house. You should know that it has doors, that it has windows. You should know that uh, it has plumbing. You should know that, you know, that it's to be lived in. Now, if your house is a mess, you won't want to be in it as much, right? So there are tricks in housekeeping and maintaining Right. But again, it's all really bottom line to soothe the soul, to feed the spirit, right? To become well adjusted enough that you can be grateful, that uh, you have an opportunity to be in a body with a mind and a breath. Yeah. Because it's very hard to be in a body when you don't have a good mind. It's, and to have a good mind, you have to have a lot of air in your brain. To have a lot of air in your brain, right? Like prana and minerals to feed you, you have to have techniques because. You know a card does not maintain itself it needs mechanics and the beauty is you're your mechanic yeah. yeah yeah
0: i mean for anyone that's listening who perhaps isn't familiar with your work and who is you know hearing a lot of these concepts and ideas and 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 metaphors for the first time you know i i have to say the the maps that you've created with what I heard the artist's name is
1: susan Yes, so yeah. my, my illustrator is Susan Fiera, who I absolutely adore, who is so talented, right? Uh, Susan has been working with me for about 20 years mm-hmm. in classes, coming to classes, and then uh, she became my illustrator about 10 years ago, and between us, we really work hard and put it down on mats. Now, the reason we put it down is like a recipe, once it's down, I don't have remember it also it's easy <laughs> to give somebody a map and say oh just follow the map right um, so you know in some ways uh, it has been a huge blessing for me to collaborate with Susan because you know once it's down it's 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 there it's you know this is why you put your spells in a spell book you right you have them and then you can go back and find them again yeah. so um, lots and lots of maps because maps Give you material, which is, you know, um, the mother of the game and pattern, which is the father of the game. And if you can put together the patterns and the material, well, you can make product.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I can't recommend them too highly. They're really incredible. And not only are they, you know, an, an incredible, you know, being able to visually see all of these ideas represented, they're all just also just incredibly beautiful. I mean, really like artistically so inspiring.
1: Well, uh, you know, the maps when I started to first do, because maps are part of Yantra Yoga, so they're all about geometry, and it's all about mapping time and space. So, you know, we build space maps, we build time maps, right? Time maps would be like the maps of the seasons, map of the clock, right, a map of day and night. And space maps are territory, bottom, middle, top, left, right, center. And by virtue of being able to really uh, codify Time and space, well, you have a good chance you can show up at the right place on time. That is, for me, like the real sort of uh, vision of joy to really know, make plans and show up. Well, if you just tell somebody, Meet me in New York, it's very big, it's very amorphous. But if you can get very specific, right? Meet me at this hour on this street. A good chance you can get there so success is a very big piece of the practice is you should eventually become successful you should use your techniques not just to use time but to actually achieve so it's very you know it gives you tremendous amount of well-being for your Mind, your body, your breath, when you really do succeed at something that you wanted to do. Well, yes. do that. There are formulas. Mm-hmm. And that's where you codify formulas, right? You map them, you do techniques, right? But they're all part of serving the individual, mm-hmm. right? Easiest way to find something you've never seen or go to a place you've never been to is with a map. Because with a map, you can know there's things that are outside your field of vision. Yeah. And then you can actually get there. Right. Yes, so, yes, yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah,
0: and we'll, I'll, we'll tell uh, the listeners how they can get a hold of these maps at the end. But I wanted to ask you now you know, you've talked about um, the magic square, which is this sort of um, uh, framework to understand the kind of different relationships of quadrants. How would you describe that? I, I should stop trying to. So, <laughs> not
1: magic squares. But the magic square that I'm playing with, because you know, chess is a magic square. Just so you know, it's right. game theory. So chess is a magic square. It's an eight by eight magic square. You'd have sixty-four little grids, and once you know where the pieces go, you know the lay of the land, and you know how to play the game, mm. right? The game I play with is called the three x three magic square. Um, the Chinese. Um, played with this map for thousands of years called the Lo Shu, and basically it's a tic-tac-toe board. It divides space into bottom, middle, top, left, right, and center. Then, of course, once you start making it dimensional, you would add time, potential, past and present, and you'd make that little map into a cube, which is the body, right? So the magic square is a map of form of organic form, it has life in it, because not only does it define the bottom, the middle, the top, the left, the right, and the inside, the middle, it also defines that there's a potential, there's a past, and there's a present. So it's very organic, it's very dynamic. Um, The Taoists use that map um, to basically um, define the compass. So that's what it really is, it's a compass. It divides space into north, south, east, west, northeast, southwest, northwest, southeast. Okay. Yeah. So when you have a compass, well, you have a good chance that if you know where you are, you can then identify the territory around you. Yeah. So that's how it's used traditionally as a compass to be able to orient you in time and space. I take the compass and I flip it so that I put it in you looking out so you cross-reference. So it becomes a meditation tool. Is I look out and see your right in relationship to my right. So it is a reflective map that allows you to look out and reflect back on yourself, Mm. right? So it's used for meditation, it allows you to map your personal space, Mm. right? Where's my heart, right? On the left, where is my liver on the right? And then it maps out what the position is. So, you know, um, nine rooms in your house and each room has a character and then we superimpose it on your body so you can know the character, of that position of your body as if it was the character of a room in your house mm-hmm. yeah. and what is the? sorry go ahead oh sorry there's a lot of code in the magic square these are math games so I'll just say that very quickly in that um, the language like if you want to learn French you go and take French lessons but if you really want to speak the language of the spirit you'd play with math because math is universal language that really transcends the cultural, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why these are math games. All the magic constant is number 15, adds up to uh, the symbol of Trinity. Mm -hmm. So there's tremendous amount of information coded in the math of it. I I did not make it up, I just use it.
0: Yeah, well, I wish these were the math games that we were playing in grade school because they'd be a lot more fun. (laughs)
1: Yes, because once you understand why, why when things add up to 10, they give you polarity. Why when things add up to 20, they frame out. Once you know that, then it becomes easier to play with these and understand, again, that they're practical. Yeah. They're to be used. Why use a level tool? Because eventually your painting will hang well. Yeah. So there are reasons to measure up.
0: Yeah. But it's also beautiful because, you know, the, I think what is lost, even in just to push this point more math education, because when you really look at math, it is such a mystical thing. I mean, what is zero? I mean, all of these mysteries on which, on which math is grounded. And yet, you know, it's sort of completely that the magic of it is taken out of it in in the education of it. Whereas it seems like people would have a much more intimate relationship with math if they could have that or retain that. And they will.
1: back. I mean, you know, anything we know eventually is seeping through. Yeah. Right. So, and music is math. Mm-hmm. Right. And they had a much better time teaching math. Than they taught music. And they had yeah. a much better time teaching math. Than they taught knitting. Knitting is warp and woof. Right. It is, you know, these are all mystical experiences. And that's why to be really having a mystical practice does not mean it's not practical and pragmatic. Yeah. It is so practical to be. Mystically inspired. Yeah. Right? Once all that one wakes up, once you be all that one has the opportunity to go to bed and get a rest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, uh, yes. But I think that's why yoga is so big today. Yeah. So, what is the
0: magic? What is the golden thread and what is its connection to the magic square?
1: So, the golden thread um, in, so when you start with the Taoist, it's, you know, it belongs to the Tai Chi, the great ridge pole that divides polarity. Mm-hmm. And that's very rigid, just like the Axis Mundi. It's a very rigid pole that the world spins around. But eventually, when that pole moves into its fluency, so when you said first you learn a language, it's rigid. Then you start to develop fluency, just like first you learn the steps, right? But then you learn to dance. And once you start playing with fluency, you start playing with a piece of thread. So the golden thread is the same thing as the Sutra Atman, which is the threading self. And really what it is, universal imagination and the personal. When you write a story, when you tell your story, you're weaving your narrative. Well, you're weaving your golden thread through the canvas of time and space, right? So the golden thread is really the mind right, in its ability to be well-twined, right, to be um, um, well-handled. And that's why before you start making sweaters or weaving things first, you learn to make a string ball. Well, that is the idea of learning how to become round and buoyant and spherical. A lot of the meditations I teach are circuit meditations, and they're based on taking the material of the mind Right, and learning how to move it to the body in a very specific circuitry that makes you round. Mm. Right. So it is really knowing how to use the mind in its facility. Mm. Right. You weave a story, you're weaving it with the mind. Well, what are you using? It's the material, right? And it's a piece of thread. right i'm very big in all western narrative this is why knitting embroidering sewing are very big tools of meditation in the western narrative Mm -hmm. right so the same way we tend to think that meditation is eastern but it's not it's it's universal right it's like baking is universal just like singing is universal right if you've got a voice eventually someone's going to sing right if you've got a mind someone's going to weave a narrative yeah. right
0: leave
1: yeah. a good one yeah
0: yeah i love that i mean you're it's, it's so right about knitting I, i've only knitted one scarf in my entire life but i do remember it being just like one of the most meditative experiences
1: and it's purposeful so it's meditating and it's purposeful and it's productive and I think it's very important for people, if they're going to spend time doing things, that it's productive for them. Because the Big defeat in Life is not that people didn't work hard, it's that it wasn't efficient, it wasn't effective. And that's why also it's not enough to just knit. You have to learn technique. Once you have real technique, which is rigid, which is formal, which is instructive, once you own that, then it, by virtue of using your techniques, you should eventually be able to do more than just the technique. Right. You should be able to produce. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's like the relationship between ballet and modern dance. Once you know the you know the technique of ballet, you can create modern.
1: You can do anything, and that's why eventually, the most important thing is develop technique and use it. Yeah. yeah. Then, what are you using it for? Uh, again, to soothe your soul, to use time to play with others. Well, these are mystical experiences. So I, I'm very into keeping the mystical very practical. Yeah. Right. And it a my hour day. Yeah. Yeah. You know? well,
0: yeah. Well, one, uh, you know, uh, we we were I know before we. Got on this call. I talked to you about maybe going through the polarity meditations, and I think we've talked about so many other wonderful things that we'll skip for that for this interview. But I did want to just point the listeners to uh, the Katona Yoga website because there is a fantastic document that um, you know outlines a number of the things that we spoke about, and then also visually represents these four polarity meditations that really the sort of imagined orbits uh, through the body in you know in, in and around these quadrants that you've described in relation to um, the uh, the magic square so um, I definitely want to recommend everyone to check that out and it's Katona yoga dot um, yeah
1: and, so. yeah <laughs> you'll find it,
0: you'll find it.
1: Um, yeah, we're building a really nice um, library that really will have all our maps that so they can be broken down all the maps we do are tessellated and um they lay layer on each other yeah. so eventually all the maps have the same territory the yeah. body yeah. and your relationship with the greater body which is of great nature around you yeah so how to position yourself
0: yeah now one thing I did want to just end on a uh, question is you know because it's very obvious from the things we've talked about that this is really about functioning in Nature, you know, really at the end of the day and, and fitting the patterns of the universe. And so I, I'm just wondering, you know, what your thoughts are in terms of climate change and, you know, obviously so many things are about the seasons, but what starts to happen or what, what does Katona Yoga teach us in the face of, you know, a situation where the seasons are essentially changing or the patterns of life that um, are shifting, at least on the planetary level?
1: Right. Well, again, because yoga first starts with personal, right? Which is also how to save your soul when uh, you don't have that much control in a lot of other places. But you do have the control of manipulating your own breath. You do have the control of making sure that you take care of your environment. And that's why the first piece of practice is always you, right? And so first you clean up your own environment. I mean, for most people who are really worried so much about what's going on elsewhere, it really would help, at first, you just clean up behind yourself. So, first game is always self-responsibility. Make, clean up your own mess. Take care of your own garbage, right? Flush your own toilets, right? Make sure you know what you're saying, right? Be careful what you're listening to, because first you have to tend your own stuff. Then, by vibration and concentration, you can be more effective with what goes on around you. Yeah. But this, it always starts with on the mat. It's one's own practice. Where are you? Is your weight in the heels of your feet? Well then you're gonna be digging in your past. Is your weight too far in the balls of your feet? Well then you know you're gonna trip into your future. Can you organize yourself so that you're mediating between moving forwards, and moving back? Right? Can you, you know, can you know how to use your senses? Can you put yourself in the middle of your circumstances? So in some ways it's very helpful because if you handle your own mess, it will help. Now if 60,000 people decide to do yoga and really the yoga rather than being a soldier and marching with 60,000 people went outside and picked up garbage, right, that would be an impressive practice. and it would be helpful. So, uh, you know, it's much more practical and functional. To me, Yoga is not about being a soldier. It is not militant. It's not about joining someone's army. It is really about being a musician, learning how to tune your own instrument, learning how to play to soothe your soul and others, and eventually be able to play not only with yourself, but with others. Mm. And that's orchestrate. When you're with other people, you're playing in the orchestra. So oh, it's your job to know how to time yourself, tune yourself and pay attention so Mm. you're being asked to use all the techniques that you learn on the mat to have a life yeah right as opposed to thinking the world is terrible but then being in a sense hopeless and helpless
0: yeah wow well that's a beautiful I love that yeah. that ending on that note of orchestra because it ties it goes back to what we started with was you mentioning you know yoga is music and um, and playing with the notes and I think the the orchestra is such a beautiful metaphor for um, you know community but also taking responsibility for your yeah. stuff a, as a way of augmenting the experience of community. Well,
1: and it's beautiful when you go into a class and you see people have. Done their practice, they've done their work, and they play together. And that's why people do love um, congregating and playing together and doing vinyasa together, or you know, or uh, you know, doing it communally because each one has to hold up their piece. Because everyone is an individual, but then there's the greater whole, and then there's the greater whole. And so eventually, it's where you start, you start with you being the center of your circumference. Mm-hmm. But then eventually, it's much bigger than oneself.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, Naveen, this has been um, such an honor to chat with you today. This oh, has been a, an incredibly inspiring conversation. Um, I'm wondering if you have anything you'd like to share with the audience about anything that's coming up, any workshops or anything you'd like to mention?
1: Oh, well, you know, we're doing tons of workshops because we're very proud right now to put out a lot of this material. So the best for that is to go on our site and look because, you know, we try to really, um, we're trying very hard to be a good resource for lots of people who teach our material and move the material. And it's pretty out there in the world. So there's so many great teachers Plus, we hope to have a nice library in house that people can really go and find um, our resources, so they know what we do and what we play with. Yeah. I have products coming out, so by hopefully December they will be out and find them on our website. Excellent. And so I won't talk. About that. Yet.
0: Okay. Yes. All right. Well, yeah. So, so go to katonayoga.com uh, to see all of the resources. There are there are there are many videos, and as I mentioned, there's that wonderful meditation document that you can explore. Thank you so much, Naveen. It's been such a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much, and I'll speak to you soon.